Greetings and salutations, and welcome to Radio Days, a podcast radio program that delves into the world of terrestrial radio. It's DJs and on-air personality, and you, all fans of radio as a medium. Here's your host, Ron. Hello and welcome to Radio Days podcast program that takes a look inside radio through the eyes of those who have worked behind the mic of radio. Today's show is produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos, professional photography, headshots, maybe you need drone video or photography from a licensed drone pilot, head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. Also, I want to introduce you to Instacart. The products you love from your local stores, Kroger, Meyer, countless others, delivered right to your door in as fast as one hour. Your groceries hand-selected by Instacart shoppers based on your preferences. They also pick the freshest produce, and uh, they keep your eggs safe, too. Instacart also highlights deals. Uh, it'll help you save money. Just follow the link in the show notes and get free delivery on your first order over $35. Before we uh, welcome our special guest today, a quick reminder, our documentary about the history of terrestrial radio, Radio Days, 100 Years of Radio, is coming later this year. If you'd like to help out and become a producer for this movie, it's real easy. Click on the heart at the top of the page of the podcast here. Become a patron. Every little bit helps, and thank you in advance. So my guest today is known around the country as radio's best friend. Can you think of a better title? A longtime radio broadcasting advocate, a diehard fan of the Maze and Blue. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show radio's best friend, Mr. Art Volo. How are you, sir? Hello, Ron. Glad to be here. Welcome. Well, it's we're, we're two weeks removed from the big game. Are you still celebrating Tom Brady's win? Yeah, no, that was great. I was uh, glad to put together a whole video of all the uh, great, references to him on all the newscasts and all the late night shows and everything and i put it put together a wonderful video for his mom and dad yeah he's a great guy i want to thank you art for being part uh, of as it you know the the movie you are a very important part uh you are a very important part actually i'm in the you know i'm, I'm editing this movie together currently for the upcoming documentary radio days 100 years of radio one of the things that we talked about in this film is and even to this day uh, art is debated and disputed which was the first radio station in the country? Was it KDK in Pittsburgh or WJ, WJ in Detroit? What's your take on that? Well, I think as I've said to you time and time again, the point is now moot because both radio stations are owned by the same company. That happened when uh, Westinghouse got bought out by Intercom. and uh, No, it got bought out by CBS, and then CBS got bought out by Intercom. The radio industry has become very cannibalistic. Uh, everybody's eating everybody. WWJ in Detroit was owned by the Detroit News for many, many years. Um, and, and, and it's funny because um, their chief competitor in Detroit is WJR. And WJR was the CBS station for Detroit. And then later on, CBS owned WWJ. So this is the kind of uh, musical chairs that goes on in the radio industry. And then KDKA, which of course, claimed to be first in Pittsburgh, was for many years uh, owned by Westinghouse. In fact, the very first broadcast on November 2nd, 1920, came from the Westinghouse Electric uh, Building in East Pittsburgh. But uh, there were a whole group of radio stations. KDKA was part of it. 1010 Winds, New York, you know, WoWo in Fort Wayne, WIND Chicago. They were all over the country. And then when CBS bought Westinghouse, 
the Westinghouse name went away. Sometimes the names stay. When Sirius and XM, the two satellite radio companies joined, they kept both names and made it Sirius XM. Sirius got the top billing because they're in New York. And New Yorkers have this attitude of, you know, their shit doesn't stink. You know, right. they're New York. They're the biggie. So they just kept it, you know, Sirius XM. Same with Exxon and Mobil. It's, it's Exxon Mobil. They kept both names because they were both established brands. But sometimes one of the names goes away. So KDKA became a CBS station. So was WWJ in Detroit. So who cares? The same <laughs> owner. And now those two stations both got swallowed up by Intercom, which took over CBS. You see, the three big networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, they all got out of radio. Uh, the first one was NBC. They sold all their O&O stations, which means owned and operated. They got rid of Then ABC got rid of all their O&Os, and then finally CBS. So the three big TV networks all got out of radio. So I love going to the radio conventions and having people say, hey, best time ever for radio. Radio is doing better than ever. Well, if it's doing so great, why is everybody selling their damn station? Come on. Get <laughs> well, real, people. Anybody who talks to you, spends any more than 30 seconds with you knows that you're a, a fan of terrestrial radio as a medium. I am. Let's, let's go back to the beginning. What were you listening to as a child on radio, Art? Well, like everybody of my age, which is over 65, uh, I started out listening to AM radio. I still like AM radio. Uh, I don't necessarily listen to it on an AM radio. Uh, even in my own house in suburban Detroit, I can get WJR in Detroit clearer on the internet than I can hear it on any radio in my house. And I have some really good radios. I have 44 radios in my house, which is qualifies me for sickness level uh, to have that many radios uh, in one's house. But I do. I want to interject here. Uh, talking to you, I did put on my Christmas list that I wanted a transistor radio for Christmas, and my wife came through. So it sits on the countertop in the kitchen, and every morning when I'm when I'm getting ready to start my day, I turn it on to WJR and or whatever I'm in the mood for. But I'm I'm listening to uh, my transistor radio, and and it's because of you, Art. So thank you. That was that was from this Christmas. You mean this past Christmas? I got a new radio. Oh. Because oh, you reminded wow. me of how few people have radios. And I think I have one radio in the house, but it's, like, broken. So well, I was like, know, I need a radio, a transistor. Well, well what's amazing is uh, uh, I know that, uh, and check local listings, but uh, at the time we're doing this, a tremendous uh, snow event is happening across the United States. And uh, they're predicting a lot of power outage. And I find out how many people do not have a battery-powered radio in their house. And when the power goes out, you don't have the internet, you don't have the TV, you don't have the cable, you don't have, your cell phone dies, you have to go out in the car to recharge it, and then if the cell tower location lost its power, you won't get a signal anyway. So radio is the only way you can get any information to know what's going on. And I think all my relatives and friends in New Jersey found that out when Superstorm Sandy hit, and everything was wiped out. It was radio's greatest moment because radio came to the rescue where no other medium could do it. And, and But people don't even have a radio. I've been in people's homes that are million-dollar houses or more, and there's not one single radio in the entire house. Sad. 
To, to, to that point, yeah. I, I want to share with you, uh, not this past summer, but the summer before that, I made a trip back to my uh, one of the stations I worked at, uh, WSJM uh, um, in Benton Harbor, St. Joe. And uh, when you go in the their lobby, 1400. yes, and when you Ooh. go in their lobby, um, next to the waiting room is a, an area they created. And this wasn't there when I worked there, but it's an area they created. And they, they have a bunch of different types of radio on display for sale. I thought oh, that was sale. cool. Yes, they sell them to people who come into the radio station for whatever reason. Oh, really? I thought maybe you were going to tell me they had a display of like old radios. Or some of them I've are old, that. but they but they're yeah. it's not anything. I mean, they are antique looking, but still, really? I think it's cool that these radio stations because I think there's five stations at that at that building uh, are selling actual old school style radios. Wow! I wow. wish more radio stations even, would do that. Was that Gail Olson's idea? Yep. Well, I'm sure it was. <laughs> you know, Gail. Gail is a man. Uh, anyway, and uh, yeah, that uh, I saw a, a display like that at WROK once. Um, talk to me about when did you know that you wanted to work in radio, and how did you get your first job in radio? Where was your first job at radio? Well, that's a good question. My, my my very first job, I hung out with my mentor, who was Jim Shelton. He was the number one radio personality in the state of Indiana. At the time, this is late 50s, very early 60s, I went to a, um, an all-boys Catholic high school in Indianapolis where we were living at the time. And after school, instead of going home, I would go down to various car dealers. This is back when car dealers were actually like in the downtown area. And my, my, my mentor uh, did his radio show from a different car dealer each night. And he was a a real radio salesman. He could sell Fords one night and Chevys the next night with total conviction that that was his favorite kind of car. And, uh, and so I would go down and hand him records and, and large ETs, which stood for electrical transcriptions. The commercials were on big, uh, like 16 inch records. And, uh, it's hard to believe this, but this is the way it was. Right. And he had two turntables, but you never played two songs in a row. I mean, if it were two songs in a row, it was a big deal back in the 60s. I remember here in Detroit, WXYZ in Detroit had a little jingle that went, Wixie, twin spin. It was a big deal to play two songs in a row. Uh, then later, of course, in radio, you heard three, four, five, six songs in a row before you heard the DJ, and then he would back sell. Well, we started the set 20 minutes ago with that Jimi Hendrix song that nobody ever heard. Right. <laughs> Back in the early days of Top 40 Radio, the DJ talked between every song. Hard to believe. But that's what I did. I used to help him for no money. I just did it because I loved radio. I fell asleep with a little crystal radio plugged in my ear every night, listening to a guy named Bernie Herman, who I got to know very well later in years. And Bernie Herman did the uh, late night show on WIRE in Indianapolis. It was a full service station, but from 10 to midnight, they played the hits on a show called Night Beat. And the radio didn't even run on batteries. You just grounded it to a, a wall plate, electrical outlet or something, and it picked up the closest station. And that was the closest transmitter to my house. And that's what I fell asleep to. And real, it was real really cool. Now, now, despite being an audio medium, Art, another thing that you did was the video air checks, something that later you would turn into movie productions. Talk to me about how and why you came to start recording video air checks around the country. I saw one that somebody else did. It was Shotgun Tom Kelly, 
who is probably one of my dearest, closest friends in the whole wide world now. Doesn't he have a star and on the Hollywood Hot Walk of Fame? He he does. How he cool got is that? that. He got that back in I think it was uh, 2013, and his program director at K Earth 101 spoke, and also at the ceremony he had Stevie Wonder speak on his behalf. So it was extremely cool. Uh, first time I ever met Stevie Wonder, but uh, it was uh, it was he who did the first one. And it was before home video. It was in uh, 1975, I think, or so. He did it with an 8-millimeter home movie camera. And he did a, what do you want to call it? A, um, it was a, His station was B100 in San Diego, KFMB-FM. And it was kind of like a radio station presentation showing people, giving them like a video tour of the radio station and showing the various DJs on the air. Uh, and he did it with a movie camera, an actual film movie camera. And he plugged the sound directly in, so it sounded really good. And it was tremendous. And I said, wow. We all knew what air checks were, because all radio freaks do. They listen to all these tapes of radio stations. But this one had a video element to it. You not only got to hear the DJ, you get to see it. You see him bouncing around in the studio. You see his body language. You can tell whether or not he really enjoyed what he was doing, more so than just listening. And it was totally entertaining. And I said, this is great. So when I got my first color camera around 1978, 79, I did the same thing, a radio station presentation for a buddy of mine, one of my close friends, who sadly I just lost before Christmas this year, but he and I went to college together. His real name is Jim Carr. And, uh, and he was the program director of WIFE in Indianapolis. One of the last great top 40 AM radio stations left in America at a time when everything was going to FM. And he was there kind of like the captain of the Titanic. <laughs> and I did a video of wife, 13 wife. And that was the beginning. And from there, it went on and on, and mostly through the 80s. The 80s and 90s are the two decades that I have probably, what's the word, archived with the most stations. You know, and like when Z100 went on in New York, I was blown away by this station. And I had more video of that station than probably anybody in the country. Is that Scott Shannon? Yes, Scott Shannon took a radio station that was licensed to Newark, New Jersey, playing beautiful music, lush instrumental music, very few on-air people, did uh, nothing in the ratings, didn't even show up in the ratings. It was uh, transmitting from um, Livingston, New Jersey, west of Newark. It didn't really uh, cover the whole market that well. And it was bought by Mulright Communications out of Cleveland, Ohio. They hired Scott. He came in and took it from worst to first in 74 days. It will never, ever, ever, it will never happen again anywhere. So getting back to your video uh, air checks uh, real quick. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, eventually you became known. Oh, that's art. That's, that's sweet. But at the beginning, how did you get these jocks who, and I'm sure a lot of cases you were meeting them for the first time to, to agree to go in front of your camera for air checks? How did that go about? As old Scott Shannon, I had already known. Uh, I knew him back when he was a record rep for Casablanca Records. 
I used to see him at radio conferences and all this kind of stuff. So he knew who I was and I knew who he was. And uh, yeah, he let me in the studio. To be honest with you, some of the best stuff I've ever shot on video was um, when I didn't even have an appointment to do it. I just said, hey, can I do it? I mean, but there have been other times when I've, uh, I remember, I hate using the word confronted, but I guess that's kind of what I did. I confronted the real Don Steele in Los Angeles at K-Earth 101 and wanted to do a video of him. And he said, no, man, uh, not today. And he wasn't in the mood. And he said, some other time. And I said, well, well, Don, I don't live in Los Angeles. I live in Michigan. And I can't just come, you know, another time. I have to do this when I'm in Los Angeles. And he said, well, not today, man. And I don't have to tell you what happened. There was no next time. Uh, the next time I got to L.A., he was dead. Um, he, along with Robert W. Morgan, probably the two biggest DJs ever in Los Angeles, Top 40 Radio, both died in the same year from the same thing, lung cancer. DJs all over the country smoked like fiends. Uh, what else was there to do in the studio? Right. You know, they all had an ashtray full of cigarette butts. They all smoked a lot, and a lot of them died of lung cancer, sadly. As I yeah. mentioned earlier, you turn these into movie productions. Talk about the feedback. The first, uh, the first time we ever displayed my stuff was in 19, I want to say it was 1985. I think it was. It was 85 or 86 at the um, NAB radio convention, which was the uh, National Association of Broadcasters radio convention. And it was in, uh, I want to say it was in Dallas. And which is funny because it was in Dallas at a radio and records convention in 1977 when I saw that first Shotgun Tom video. So Dallas has a warm spot in my heart uh, for that reason alone. And uh, yeah, it was um, it was tremendous. The uh, the N uh, the NAB was doing this convention in cooperation with the NRBA which stood for the National Radio Broadcasters Association or something. Anyway, the two associations kind of jointly put this convention on. They both had a booth in the exhibit hall, and their booths were across the aisle from each other. But the NRBA said uh, that they would like to feature my radio air checks, my video air checks on a monitor that they had a big monitor screen in their booth and my stuff was running and the crowds were so big watching this stuff that they spilled into the aisle across the aisle and into the NAB booth, but they all had their backs to the NAB booth because they were all watching this stuff in the NRBA booth. And they said, wow, this is unbelievable. So um, they were floored by it. So they said, well, the next year, let's do this again. One of the things on my video was Detroit's very popular DJ, Dick Purton, on a birthday show, I videotaped. A listener sent him a gift of a pair of blue satin jockey underwear. Yeah, baby. With his first name <laughs> embroidered on the fly. 
And you would think that I showed pornography <laughs> on the air, but he held up the pair of jockey shorts that said Dick right on the front. You behave. <laughs> and they, because of that, banned my video, unplugged the monitor, turned it around. That escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. And it made the uh, it made several of the trades that I was. And, and this was a convention that was held in Anaheim wow. in l liberal Southern California. Wow. And, uh, and they would not let it play. And they put my picture, I remember, in some of the trades with a black bar across my eyes, you know, banned in Anaheim. It was unbelievable. Different times. So I knew I had something hot, you know, when I got banned. As soon as you ban something, everybody wants to see it. Dollar signs. You know, it was, oh, it was very cool. Yeah. So those are the things that really propelled me in the beginning. Up next on Radio Days, the podcast. From your purview, give me your top five radio broadcasters of all time. I don't know that I would put J.B. McCarthy on there. Have you been thinking about starting a podcast? I highly recommend Buzzsprout. We use it here for this podcast and could not be more happy with all the bells and whistles we have access to. Buzzsprout gets your show listed in every major podcast platform. You also get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that can drop into other websites, detailed analytics, tools to promote your episodes, and much more. Following the link in the show notes gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. Plus, it helps support our show. Go check out Buzzsprout today. Thank you again for tuning in. Today, I'm talking with Art Volo. Art, one of the reasons I think you're known as radio's best friend is your vast knowledge um, and not just of Detroit radio, but you have journaled and recorded and have knowledge of stations and personalities from all over the country. Now, we could throw out names like Dick Purton, like you just mentioned, J.P. McCarthy and Ernie Harwell. But from your purview, give me your top five radio broadcasters of all time. I don't know that I would put J.P. McCarthy on there. I've known Paul W. Smith longer, his successor. And, and Paul is celebrating 25 years this summer on that radio station in Detroit. And that's longer than J.P. McCarthy was there. JP was there for 21 years. He's about to celebrate 25. And Paul W. Smith is a nicer man. Now, I'm not saying that, that JP wasn't a nice guy. But what I'm saying is if you didn't play golf, if you weren't an avid boater. I'm sailing. I'm sailing. If you didn't fit into a certain clicker category, uh, you could not get as close to JP McCarthy as a lot of people would think. And yet poor Paul W. Smith has, for the last almost 25 years now, lived in his shadow to where people are saying, well, he ain't no J.P. McCarthy. No, he's not. But And he's not trying to be J.P. McCarthy. He is his own personality. But, yeah, but these are the problems you have when you come in following somebody that was quite popular. Uh, when Dick Purton left, you know, they've tried several things on that same radio station. Now they have his daughter, uh, Joanne Purton, doing the show because she's got the value of his last name, Purton. But they started it off. Now, she was a, she came over from television, and they, they teamed her up with Stephen Clark, who also came from Channel 7. So you had two TV people now doing radio. It was okay, but... It's really clicking now that Stephen stepped aside. He left, and they put JJ, which is Jim Johnson, 
who has a long history of doing radio in this market. And you got a radio guy now helping her become a better radio person. And it's working. It's if, if you listen, it's a fantastic program. Yeah. Well, you, you gotta, you gotta have chemistry. When you put two people in a radio studio, the chemistry either happens or it doesn't. You can't force it. It's like love. Love either happens or doesn't, but you can't force it. Uh, I would put Scott Shannon as number two on my list. I would put number one uh, is actually a duo, but now it's a singular because one half retired, and that's Bob and Tom out of Indianapolis. I think they are the funniest morning show in America. Nobody can touch them, in my opinion. Um, so I will put them as number one, but Bob is retired, so Tom Griswold is really number one on my list. Scott Shannon, number two. Uh, I would put in there probably, uh, I'm trying to think I want to make him number three or number four, uh, Paul Castronovo, who's down in Miami. He's very, very entertaining. Uh, I'm going to put him in as number four, Paul Castronovo. Who else, who else would I stick in there? Boy, I'll tell you, that is not an easy question to... Uh, it's not fair either, but you know what? No. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like <laughs> asking a DJ what your favorite song is. I mean, that plays so many, and they have so many favorites. It's really, uh, it's really difficult. But there are, there are so many people that try to be entertaining or try to be funny, and it just doesn't work. I mean, you know, I don't know how you feel about a program like Saturday Night Live, but every now and again, I try and tune it in and see what makes it popular. It's rough. It does. It doesn't make me laugh. It's rough. It just doesn't make me laugh. And I don't even I laugh, think it's sophomoreish. I just think it's bad. It's just bad. Bad writing. Bad. I mean, you know, I've been going through old tapes. I just found a tape from the um, Tonight Show, and. And uh, Johnny Carson was on vacation and Don Rickles was hosting the show. And he brought out a guy named Stan can Stan can uh, did a show uh, on TV showing uh, new and, and uh, unusual products that you could buy like gadget type products and the sketch them sitting at a desk uh, right there in the center of the stage as Stan Kent is demonstrating these products to Don Rickles, I swear to God, I laughed so hard. I, I was in pain. I don't remember when I laughed so hard that I was in pain. I couldn't see the screen because my eyes were so wet from laughing that hard. One of the now, funniest men that, ever to walk the planet is Don Rickles. Oh, honest to God. Uh, one of my biggest regrets is I never got to meet him. You know, well, you know I, what? I, I I know we have a mutual friend, Ron David. He wrote a book called "I Never Met Sinatra." You could write a book called "But I Never Met yeah. Rickles." Yeah. Well, another man that I did get a chance to finally meet on a couple of occasions was Paul Lind. Most people very funny man him. from yeah. the Hollywood but, Squares. Yes, he was the center square for many years. He was in Bye Bye Birdie. He played the dad uh, to uh, Margaret uh, and Margaret's dad in that movie. Um, yeah, he was, but he was a very troubled man. It was all an act. I mean, uh, he had a severe problem with uh, alcohol, which really led to his early demise. Um, he, uh, one of his funniest bits ever was when he was pulled over in L.A. 
uh, in Beverly Hills, the cop came up to the window with the pad out to write him a ticket. He said uh, he'd take a cheeseburger and a milkshake. (laughs) He was so drunk. Back to the original. I won't pressure any more on the top broadcasters, but uh, to be topical, WRIF just turned 50, and, and they've yes. had many great broadcasters. You know, you they talk have. about Arthur yeah. P. The, you, I mean, yes, we could go on and on and on about this, but, I mean, Drew Lane is, is another one who's really talented behind the mic. Well, I just gave the current program director, that's why we have to say it, you know, like the then morning man, the current program director uh, of WRIF, who has never worked in Detroit, so this is all new to him. I gave him a DVD. This past uh, Friday, uh, when they had a little gathering at the radio station of uh, the kind of TV coverage that it warranted when Drew and Mike left the station because their contract was not renewed. I, I gave the PD, uh, Scott Jamison, I gave him a, a DVD of all the TV news that their departure from WRIF generated. Now, you know how TV news is very quick. They don't spend a lot of time. It, I used to always say, if you can't say it in 20 seconds, it doesn't get on the air. All right. You want to take a shot at how long this compilation of clips from three different TV stations, two, four, and seven, generated when Drew and Mike left. All right. 22 and a half minutes. That's, uh, that's phenomenal. I mean, who gets 22 and a half minutes of airtime on on a newscast when you basically get fired? But they were that. But they were number one at the time, weren't they? That's right. That's right. But there were two guys who got let go at uh, uh, 89X. Many people have brought up that turned out to be a fantastic, because look, they're still number one in the marketplace, no? I know. I know. And that's another show I don't get. I mean, I, I know they're very popular. Uh, they're very good at what they do. I don't get it. I'm out of the demo. That's me. Uh, but they're still number one. As I mentioned, WRIF just turned 50. Yeah. Is it fair to put W, as far as legendary radio stations, we talked about WJR with JP and now Paul W. Smith. Can we put WRIF in that same discussion as far as legendary radio stations because of what they've been able oh, yeah. to accomplish in 50 years? Well, first of all, they've had the same basic format. It's changed slightly, but the same basic rock and roll radio station for 50 years with the same call letters. Just to have the same call letters for 50 years, but for an FM station, in particular, to have the same call letters for that long, that's unheard of, and the same basic format. And WRIF were not supposed to be the call letters. The call letters they picked were WDAI, which stood for Detroit Automotive Industry. And those call letters went to WLS-FM in Chicago, and it became the WDAI and WRIF was picked for Detroit because it was like a riff on a guitar. They thought that would be better for Detroit rock and roll town. Interesting. So, yeah. um, One of the things I hope uh, to show in my movie is how important radio was and in some ways still is, Art. You once said the way that radio covered 9-11 was among the most impressive performances by terrestrial radio across the board since you've been a consumer of the medium. Do you still feel that way and why? Wow. 
Well, I think it, I think it was, I think it was a shining moment for radio. Um, I mean, the way the stations in, especially New York and Washington, D.C., handled that very great tragedy um, was, it was a shining moment for radio. It really was. Uh, Scott Shannon, who was very emotional, and so am I, uh, I did a mini documentary about 9-11, how New York radio handled that day. And he said there were people that were calling his show and at that time, WPLJ in New York, wanting to say goodbye to their family because they knew they were going to die. That's pretty heavy stuff. That, I mean, I'll, I'll choke up thinking sure. about sure. how heavy that is. Right. And, and the, the responsibility you realize you have at a time like that is just beyond belief. I mean, it's hard to on a scale of whatever, it's hard to even find the number for that. Really. You know, it was just a, you know, and then I think Elvis Duran over at Z100, he said something about how many people called in and said how important his radio show was to help them get through that. And he said on a list of, of important things like radio was like number 600 on the list. And yet, when people were saying these things to me uh, about how important they were, it made him feel so good to be in the radio broadcasting business. Sometimes we take it for granted. We get a little nonchalant about our being there. But in time of crises, uh, there is no more intimate medium than radio, especially the funny shows. My friends Bob and Tom how they handled that. Howard Stern in New York. It was a time when, I mean, how long did it take the late night TV shows? Letterman, I think was the first. Oh, was it Letterman that said, I think, I think it was, it was either Letterman or I think it was Letterman that said he asked Mayor Giuliani at the time, um, uh, is it okay to be funny again? No, that was on SNL. He said that to Lorne Michaels. Yeah, he said, is it okay to be funny? And then and then he said, why start now? Yeah, I remember the, I remember the, uh, the comeback. It was on Saturday Night Live, really. It was like okay. the, the country was able to exhale and say, okay. We can tell jokes again. Yeah, it was tough. It's just like, uh, were you alive when Kennedy got shot? No. No, okay. Well, when Kennedy got shot, I was in high school. And I remember all the radio stations that played rock and roll stopped playing rock and roll. All of them, all over the country. The whole country went in the morning over Kennedy's assassination. And it took a little over a week for the rock and roll to come back on the radio. It really did, you know. So, and I remember that vividly. Boy, do I remember that. Because the first station I could get any top 40 hit music on was a station called CJSP in Leamington, Ontario, Canada. So, I'm I'm a big history buff, and I and I've been to the museum there at the Book Depository in Dallas several times. Yeah, and it just so gets better I, every I, time I go. You put the little headphones on, and they take you through and yeah. explain all the stuff. It's 
So it's if, uh, kind of spooky. The little you saw the white X on the road where the exact spot yeah. where the limo was hit. Yeah. So if nine eleven was radio's uh, crowning moment as far as getting this country yeah, through that, I, I you think, also said I think so. you also yeah. said that voice tracking was the least impressive thing radio has done. Does that still hold true? Well, I mean, the premise the premise was good. The premise was to give um, radio personalities a chance for a little extra income to voice track shifts in other cities to give smaller cities, big name voices. So they sounded more professional. The concept was, um, was good. It was, uh, it was admirable. The trouble is it put a lot of people out of work and it had people doing shows. I have a friend who's been at the same top 40 station in Columbus, Ohio, Chris Davis at WNCI, he's been there for 30 years, which is unbelievable. He also does his shifts on a station, or he did, I don't know if he still is, in Philadelphia. He told me, he's been in Ohio now, 30 years, he's from Kansas, he's never been in Philadelphia in his entire life. Now, how can you relate to a city if you've never even set foot in that town to get the vibe or the feeling of that city. You know, otherwise you're just going through the motions with no real feeling. Right. The problem with radio today, if you want to sum it up in one sentence, is that they're going after an audience that does not exist. They're looking for young people and young people don't give a damn about radio. Young people don't own a radio. They don't know what a radio even is. They've heard about it. They may have one in their car, but they don't listen to it. They, they Bluetooth their phone with their own music through the car radio. They don't listen to the news. They don't watch the news. They don't care. Okay? Which is a sad commentary, but I always notice because my father was a junkie for news, watched two hours of news on TV every night. And I said, you know, it's amazing. People that are in the checkout lane and have pretty much gotten towards the end of their life, and now I'm kind of in the checkout lane, are watching tons of news. We want to devour as much as we can. And young people who have their whole life ahead of them that should be very interested in what's going on because it's going to affect their lives tremendously, don't give a damn. They don't care. They don't watch. They don't listen. They don't care. Okay. The apathy is off the chart. Now you, you've rubbed elbows with some of the biggest names in radio broadcasting history, some, some luminaries. Um, do you have a favorite pinch me moment? Is there something that you've done in radio that you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise? Uh, a pinch me moment. Yeah. There, there, there've been a few of those. I mean, I was in the studio with Rush Limbaugh on his third anniversary. That was, that was very special. Uh, especially when he turned to my camera and he looked right down my lens and said something about, and you know who you are. And he pointed <laughs> right at, that was a special moment. When I had my video camera in my hand at a radio convention and Casey Kasem started to talk about me like I was the second coming of the radio God. Nice. No, what I want to do is say I have a, a, a long-distance dedication. And who is that to, Casey? It's to Art, who is the Mr. Radio of all the world. 
He's so dedicated, and thanks to him, I can be with my friends that I have been with tonight that I haven't seen in years. Thanks to him, I'll carry these memories with me till the day I die. Thank you, Art. That is the whole story, and it is the infamous Casey Kasem. I'm Flashy Flasham. You want to do your last tagline? Keep your feet in the ground and keep reaching for the stars. I almost dropped the camera. I couldn't believe he was saying these things about me. I had a similar experience with Dick Clark, who not only said nice things about me, but at the end, he gave me one of these, the salute off his forehead. Wow. Which was, I almost had to change my underwear after that. Um yeah, some nice things have happened, you know. Uh, I remember Garth Brooks gave me a nice promo. People said, how'd you get Garth to do that? I said, I asked. You know, he's a very nice man. And I was very sad to see him catch all kinds of flack at the presidential inauguration because he sang Amazing Grace at Biden's uh, inauguration. And they even had a thing on Inside Edition I saw where they said some hair expert analyzing his hair. Oh, oh come on, That's people. Crazy. Have we gotten to that? You know, have, boy, it, it, it's, it's, there's a price you pay being famous. You know, as I used to say, you know, if you're really famous, you can't fart without making headlines, <laughs> which is really a shame. I don't, I, I hope I never that well known that I'm scrutinized on everything and anything I do or say, but that comes with the price of, popularity i guess now you just mentioned somebody who was extremely famous for decades and i wanted to ask who? you about dick clark uh because as we talked about and, and this is something i cover in my movie is paola um you know he he was part of the the people that was uh, uh alan freed obviously took the blunt of the whole paola yeah. stuff but dick clark wasn't uh innocent by any stretch of the imagination so i guess my no. question is why do you think he almost got like a free pass because historically that's not something that tarnishes well, his record. probably because at that point, you know, he was, wasn't he doing American Bandstand by then? Yeah. And, you know, he was becoming an extremely iconic god of the teenage generation. Uh, I think that's the reason why he did not. I mean, television has always been, I mean, well, it, not always, but since probably the late fifties television has been more powerful than radio. Right. Maybe even from the mid fifties on, you know, just the way it is. Television is the big behemoth. Radio is the ugly stepchild, you know, and I'll tell now, and, and going back, uh, one of the other things that was a real pinch me moment was videotaping, uh, Paul Harvey's. I have, I have the last speech from Paul Harvey, the last speech from Minnie Pearl talking about the country music industry and WSM in Nashville and the Grand Old Opry. I have also um, the very powerful speech given by the late Bob Eufer, who for 36 years or so was the voice of the University of Michigan football team, giving the most passionate one for the Gipper speech you ever heard and caused Bo Schembechler to win his first Rose Bowl. So I have a lot of I have a lot of videos of people doing things very special that are just uh, a chill up your spine kind of an event. And of course, a lot of times I didn't know it as I was doing it. I mean, I was saying, wow, I just got a good speech. But then you realize how powerful it really was later. And even the Paul Harvey thing, I, I did not know that was going to be his last speech, but it was. 
and people were coming up to me and saying, you realize what you just got? I did not realize at the time what I just had done, but I certainly do now. It's very cool. And I'm very proud of that. Up next on Radio Days, the podcast. Robin Seymour was a, uh, a trendsetter. I mean, he was uh, influential before people knew what the word meant. I want to introduce you to Instacart Express, the products you love from your local stores, delivered right to your door in as fast as an hour. Your groceries hand-selected by Instacart shoppers based on your preferences. They also pick the freshest produce, and they're going to keep your eggs safe too. Instacart also highlights deals for you to help you save money. Just follow the link in the show notes and get free delivery on your first order over 35 bucks. Go check out Instacart today. We're talking to radio's best friend, Art Volo. Art, 99.5 in Detroit has been, uh, it's a historic uh, <laughs> on the dial in Detroit. From 1960 to 84, 99.5 was WABX, which is a yeah. classic station that still has fans Did talking about it. And of course, now and for the last 28 years, 99.5 has been the country station WYCD. Mm-hmm. Uh, but between these two legendary stations, <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, 99.5 was known as WDTX the Fox. And then for a very short time, uh, well, first of all, WABX went top 40 under the WABX call letters because my friend B.J. Hunter, whose real name was Andy a- Andrew Ashwood, uh, was the program director there. Then it went to WCLS, and it was called Class FM. And Jimmy Barrett worked over there for a while. Then it became WDTX. It became WDTX. It was the people called the detox radio. That's when Jim Harper and Elaine golden bought the station. Okay. And they were, they were, and then it went from DTX to DFX. That's when it became the Fox. Okay. After the Fox, it became wow. FM. It was trying to be a news talk, mostly a talk station on FM. And from that, it went to WYCD, which stood for young country. But I want to talk about WOW, because this is the yeah. time when they brought Art Volo and Ed Till in. You were one of the broadcasters they brought in. Talked about that era of 99.5, circa 1992, I think. WOW FM was an experiment, you can see, but it wasn't the first time FM talk was done in Detroit. The first time was in 1971 when WJBK FM, which was WDEE FM, and it was simulcasting 1500, which was country, got bought by Bartell Media and became uh, WDRQ FM Talk. And it was the history of Detroit radio, a six-hour documentary that ran over and over that I produced back in 1971 that kicked off that format. But it was so far ahead of its time, it only lasted a year and a half, and then it went top 40. So then when WOW FM came on, this would have been 1992 or three. Yeah. yeah. And it only lasted five months. Went on the air uh, right after January 1st, and it was gone after the Memorial Day weekend at the end of May. And I think the reason why it didn't succeed is it was trying to be too many things to too many people. And you couldn't get into good discussions or good talk show topics without constantly stopping for news, headlines, for traffic updates, traffic and weather together every 10 minutes, sports at 15 and, and 45, and all the business reports, they had too many what are called benchmarks. These are things that are on your format clock that make you have to stop what you're doing and interject these little feature type things. And it was too cluttered and too busy 
and too complicated, and it didn't make it. And it was a shame. Somewhere I've got a recording of that show. I'd love to go back and listen to it. I really would. Now, Art, we recently lost a few great Detroit broadcasters, Robin Seymour, Dick Kernan, Jim Oaks. Talk to me about Robin Seymour. What did he mean to this market? Robin Seymour was a uh, a trendsetter. I mean, he was uh, influential before people knew what the word meant. And, but his most, most influence probably came after leaving radio and getting into Channel 9 television with Swingin' Time, originally called Teen Time. Uh, at uh, teen time it was across the river at CKLW TV but uh, but yeah he was uh, he was very very popular um, he brought in all the big groups and he was basically the Dick Clark of Detroit he was the local guy now there were two guys from WXYZ even earlier than him Joel Sebastian and Lee Allen had a show on channel 7 called Club 1270 because WXYZ radio was 1270 on the dial but that was never as big as the uh, swinging time was. And uh, Dick, uh, Dick Kernan, uh, well, before that, Jim Oaks was a voice talent who did a lot of great voice characterizations, mostly with Dick Burton. And he was most famous for his Casey Kasem impression. His Casey Kasem was spot on. Probably did the best Casey Kasem ever. At several of our reunions, we had a contest between Jim Oaks and Kevin O'Neill as to uh, as to who was the best, um, you know, impersonator of Casey Kasem. And he would always call it a tie because Casey was that kind of a guy. I highly but, recommend uh, you find yourself on YouTube. Go look that up because it's hysterical. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's a, yeah, it was great. And last but not least, most recently, Dick Kernan died. He was a longtime placement guy at the uh, Spex Howard School. Uh, he was the first program director uh, when they decided to change it from WXYZ FM to WRIF, which was Valentine's Day, the 14th of February in 1971. And uh, and the first person they had hired, even before they switched it, was Arthur Penhowell, who was doing Top 40 under the name of Cicero Grimes at WNRZ in Ann Arbor. So what a great man, he was a great, yeah, a great man and, and dearly missed. And, uh, and he also helped us out on the numerous Detroit radio reunions that we had. Talk to me and, about the DJ reunions. People don't yeah, know well, about this, but I, I came to the one, um, the last one in Novi before we get to that talk. To, uh, oh, when that's was, the only one you went to, huh? That was the only one I was fortunate to give. Uh, but what was, when was the first DJ reunion event? Talk to me about how it evolved over the years. The first one was in 1988. Then we waited 10 years, did one in 98, did one in 05, and in 2010. Those were the four. And then the fifth one was the one that you went to, which was a year and a half ago at the uh, Suburban Collection in NoFi. You know, but they've kind of evolved over the years, haven't they? I, it was actually Millie uh, Bostic Felch, who sadly we lost a few years ago. She was uh, in her... Last days married to uh, Dennis Coffey, one of the Funk Brothers that backed up a lot of the Motown hits, and uh, and Millie thought, let's have a gathering of radio people for a backyard barbecue. That's how it originally came to be. Let's let's get together, and the the thing grew and grew and grew, and before you knew it, we had a full fledged reunion that a number of people were at that 
that never lived to see any of the others. Uh, among them was Fred Wolf uh, from WXYZ. Uh, I think Martha Jean the Queen from WJLB was at that first one. Um, uh, Byron McGregor, the famous newsman oh, the American, from yeah. CKLW, the Americans and what have you. These are all people that were only at that first one. By the time we had our second one, 10 years later, we had lost all three of them and many more to follow. Hmm. So, but that was at the Michigan Inn in Southfield. I thought about that the other day while driving to the WRIF get together, going down the lodge and looking at that building and noticing a number of windows are smashed out. They're probably going to put a wrecking ball to that building rather than trying to refurbish it. But uh, that's where we had our first one. That was a beautiful hotel at the time. The next five, no, the next four reunions were all out in Novi, which is where I am. But it, it wasn't because I live out in Novi. It's just that we got a good deal with the hotel. <laughs> now, so but, it was but, a lot of fun. But it's, it, they turned into not just reunions, but I know the last one, you actually invited fans, yeah, that which was, was a little different. The, Talk about what that old, dynamic was like. Well, it was the only one that we actually had uh, the public come in. And we had almost 500 people at that. So it was a tremendous success. It was uh, really uh, went over very well. And I couldn't get over all the people that came back. Anybody that was still alive basically came back for that. It was I, a good time. Out of all the people that I got to see, including Robin Seymour, Lee Allen Who? was there, yeah. Denny McLean. It almost made oh, my Denny head McLean. explode. That Denny yeah, McLean well, was there. A lot of people forget that Denny McLean was a talk show host on WXYT radio. He did a, an afternoon show, as I recall. Yeah. And I've got some wonderful videotape of Denny McLean doing a remote broadcast from a bar. Uh, he was doing a show. Place was packed. And sitting right next to him was Rush Limbaugh, who came to town to do his show locally to promote uh, his affiliate in Detroit, WXYT. Now, this last reunion you build as the last DJ reunion. Is that true, or will there be another one? Why won't there be another one if there won't be? I have no idea. We, I can't tell you how many we said. We said in 05 that would be the last one. And then in 2010, Dick Purton said, I will do no more of these. And, uh, and he didn't. I think, did he show up at the last one? I yes, think, he did. He was there. Yeah, he did show up. Yeah, he did show up, but he was not an MC. They actually drafted my friend Joey Reynolds from New York and Florida to uh, be the MC. Uh, one of my favorite Joey Reynolds jokes is, yeah, I got off at Detroit Metro Airport and it said Terminal. Uh, yeah. I believed him. I love that it, joke. Well, yeah, I got off the plane in Detroit and it said Detroit Terminal. And, and I, I believed, believed him. it. <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I hate to laugh at that because it's putting down Detroit, but it's a funny line. It is. Um, but before we move on from the reunion, one of the coolest things that I think, and thank you for doing this, for preserving this, because one of the, not just the reunion, but I think it was either later that day or the next day where you had all the, a lot of these folks in your, in your, back at your house. I mean, Dick Purton was there, Robin Seymour, I think you interviewed again. That had to be a pinch me moment to be rubbing elbows with all these greats that are still, yeah. you know, still walking. I mean, what was that like to have them all back at your house? And then you guys went yeah. on the air and did a podcast. No, what we did is we did a national radio show in my basement. Lou Simon, who is the program director of the Decade Channels on Sirius XM, does a Sunday night show called The Diner. And uh, he did, where well, they just talk about music primarily. 
but occasionally we talk about radio. And that show was done from my basement, crammed full of people. And uh, we did two hours from 10 to midnight from my basement, which is really not a basement. It's a lower level. We got an audio studio and video studio and stuff, you know, and it's, it was really great. And I said, I can't believe it from my basement. It's going out across yeah. the entire country. This was so cool. My favorite part of that, my favorite, I'm sorry to cut you off, but my favorite part of that was, and I can't remember his name, Joe, who used to do voices for Dick Purton. You interviewed him, uh, me or Coleman Young. Joe Nune. He did the best Coleman Young ever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He was good. So that was a lot of fun. Yeah. And then before that, we were all over at Mike Seltzer's house over in the village of Franklin and had a wonderful time there too. So it was a whole weekend. We had the thing at the, the actual reunion. After the reunion on that Saturday, Saturday night, we a lot of us met at a place called The Beach, which is a restaurant with an indoor and outdoor dining venue right on Walled Lake, which was made famous by Lee Allen, who was part of the the, the, the whole, dance hops. Yep. Yeah, right, at the Walled Lake Casino uh, way back in the 60s. And then on Sunday, we did the thing at, Dick's, at um, Mike Seltzer's house and then at my house. So it was a whole weekend of activity. People got their money's worth. They really did. Switching gears as we uh, as as we conclude, what are your thoughts on terrestrial radio's current state, Art? Well, they they say content is king, but they don't seem to believe it. I mean, it's it's a shame. They say local, 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 and yet you look at how many radio stations are running syndicated show after syndicated show, and you're lucky if one thing is local. They all want to do whatever is cheap, not what's good. And that's what's sad about radio today is everybody overspent. They spent too much money on buying all these stations. They're so in debt. They're so bankrupt. I mean, iHeart is in bankruptcy. Cumulus is in bankruptcy. You know, I uh, Intercom spent millions of dollars on a new world headquarters in Philadelphia, and there's nobody in the building thanks to the COVID-19 virus. So all these big offices were built. Nobody's even in them. They're spending too much money and they're hemorrhaging and it's all economics. And it's, it's resulting in a very mediocre product on the air, which is sad. Talk to me about Frank Beckman. He's another one. He's about to retire. Yeah, um, after 48 years, he's about to retire and they got to figure out what they're going to put in there. You know, they've asked me to, supply some archival footage, but Beckman was, uh, I mean, he did Michigan football for 33 years. If you were in charge over there, who would you pen or do you have any names that you think would uh, fit in? in, in Frank's no, spot? not no? particularly. I just, I would, I put something on entertaining. I would offer Guy Gordon to go in there and move his show after Paul W. Smith. And you got to put something good on the air. And I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to say the least. And, I'd like to see something entertaining. Like I find Mitch Album entertaining because he doesn't talk incessantly about politics. I'm sick of political talk. I'm, I'm tired of hearing Trump's name. I'm tired of hearing things about politicians. I don't want to, there's got to be, I love talking about radio. We've been talking for how long about radio? I love it, but I don't want to talk radio 24 hours a day. I get sick of it. You, you want a variety of things, you know, some of the best talk stations in America that I've heard focus more on what we call pop culture 
than politics. Much more interesting, but what, I love them. What's next for Art Volo? Thinking of new and creative ways to advance my last few years on the planet and hopefully be remembered for somebody that did something nice for everybody. Well, Art, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. All the best to you and yours, my friend. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. Art Volo, check out his website, volovideo.com. Thanks again, Art, and thank you for tuning in for Radio Days, the podcast. And, of course, keep an eye out for Radio Days, the movie, coming later this year. Again, if you'd like to help out and become a producer for this movie, click on the heart at the top of the page, become a Patreon. Every little bit helps. Thank you in advance. Today's show produced by Ron Robinson Studios. If you need professional marketing videos or professional photography headshots, maybe you need drone video or photography, head over to ronrobinsonstudios.com. Also, have you been thinking about starting a podcast? I highly recommend Buzzsprout. We use it for this podcast and couldn't be more happy with all the bells and whistles we have access to. Buzzsprout gets your show listed in every major podcast platform. You also get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into your own website, detailed analytics, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Following the link in the show notes gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan. Plus, it helps support our show. Tune in next week for another episode of Radio Days, the podcast. Until then. In recognition of all that you have done for our nation, the millions of people a day that you speak to and that you inspire, and all of the incredible work that you have done for charity, I am proud to announce tonight that you will be receiving our country's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom.